everyone, and thank you for listening to Piano Whisperer. On this podcast, we'll be exploring the surprisingly vast world of pianos and pianists. So please join us as we interview all kinds of interesting and talented people, as well as provide behind-the-scenes encounters with all things piano. And now, with our host and savvy piano guide, Ben Klinger.
Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to Piano Whisperer. I feel incredibly privileged to have with me today pianist, composer, and arranger, Andre Mamari. Andre is considered one of Brazil's most talented musicians, recognized in both the realms of popular and classical music. His compositions have been performed by leading orchestras such as Orquestra Sinfonica do Estado de Sao Paulo and chamber ensembles such as the Sao Paulo String Quartet. His career in Brazilian popular music has attained wide attention. He has been featured in all of Brazil's major festivals and abroad in Umbria Jazz in Italy, Juan Le Pen in France, and in Japan. Born in 1977, he began studying music with his mother at age five. By age 10, he had already taught himself improvisation and wrote his first compositions. In 1998, he won the first national Premio Visa de MPB competition, the most important award for popular music in Brazil. And in 2007, he won the Carlos Gomez Award in classical music. The album Nonada was nominated for a Latin Grammy in 2008, and he was featured as composer and instrumentalist with Orquestra Sinfonica do Estado de Sao Paulo in 2013. Andre, welcome. Hey, Ben, thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you. I began the show with the song Retrospective from a CD you recorded when you were just 20. This is the CD that won the Premio Visa Award. I love that recording, and I've listened to it countless times, but I chose it because I felt this song in particular brilliantly showed how you merged the jazz and classical genres. But it all started with your mom teaching you. So she started teaching you at age five. What was that like? I always had music at home. And of course, my mother was the major figure. She plays the piano, she plays the accordion, she sings the great Brazilian songs. And also at the same keyboard, she's able to play Chopin or Jobim or Joplin. So this made quite an impression on me since my early age. And I think this reflects a lot in the way I think about music and do music today. I think it has a lot to do with this early childhood. Yes, my mother was, uh, you know, while she was cooking, she was <laughs> teaching me, you know, oh, it's the wrong note, it's the wrong chord or something like that. So it's, yeah. it's very nice. She kind of helped cultivate your ear in that respect, I think, right? Your early listening. Yeah, and it, we always had all kinds of music running in our sound system at home music mm -hmm. was always a major thing and she's of course the central figure in that aspect and by the time you were 10 you had already taught yourself improvisation so how did you do that at age 10 that's funny because you know i grew up way before internet and, and youtube and everything else i grew grew up on the countryside you know information was not very easy to access there mm -hmm. but my parents had a very nice collection of LPs like Duke Ellington, Ella mm. Fitzgerald, or, you know, Count Basie. And so I got to listen to improvisation since an early age, not even knowing the name jazz. You know, it was yeah. just, for me, I called that detailed music. That's the term I used when I was a kid, you know. What did you call it? Detailed music? Detailed music. It's like full of <laughs> yeah. details, you know, full of, yeah. you know, flourish, <laughs> flourish yeah. music. <laughs> Nice, <laughs> And that's funny because, you know, I never thought about, oh, this is jazz. This is, uh, for me, it was just developed way of yeah. 
making music that was quite different from the music I was hearing on the radio, the pop music from the 80s, you know. I remember when I was in the, for my first organ lessons, I had this three-keyboard Yamaha organ, Electon, with the pedals and everything. Oh, yeah, I remember And the, those, upper, yeah. the very upper keyboard, you know, with the tiny yeah. keys. Naturally, I used that for improvising upon the chord changes of the original tune, and uh, mm-hmm. nobody asked me to do that. It was something that occurred to me naturally. Mm-hmm. So I see it was a very natural impulse early in my life. Yeah. So did you transcribe what, I mean, not maybe formally transcribe, but maybe you did. Did you transcribe what the jazz musicians were doing that you were listening to, or you just sort of got it in your ear and were able to sort of naturally figure it out? I used to like put a record to play and play along yep. and trying to imitate the gestures, yep. you know, and get the hand of yep. the, 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 the musician was listening to, but not through scores. Ne- I never really studied a transcription of solos or something like that. Always using my ear that I, I have a perfect pitch since yep. I was a kid. Oh, wow. And I, I okay. think that, uh, you know, catalyzed and was helping me to... For sure, yeah. Yeah, to learn music faster, I think. Yeah, well, Dizzy Gillespie did it the same way. He talks about how he would put his ear to the nightclub and just listen to the sounds even when he was a young guy. Yeah. But now, by 11, from what I understand, you were already started working professionally. Is that correct? That's true. I started playing wedding parties. Uh, Wow. (laughs) uh, I don't know exactly how I got into it, but uh, my mother also played in the weddings at the church. Oh, nice. She played organ and piano. I had this very curious experience studying organ it was a mexican uh, book from yamaha and then uh, i had all the most famous boleros and beginnings and uh, foxtrots and all all kinds of dance yeah. music so yeah. when i ended the course at electon from yamaha i was ready to play a wedding fa- party you know a ball and so for sure that's an, yeah that's a good course yeah yeah you know i was able to link songs together in a way that people could never stop dancing. <laughs> yeah. I think this reflects <laughs> until today because I love to link songs. You know, that's something that I love to do. Of course, today is in a much deeper way, but and also uh, there are many stylistic bridges I built. But <laughs> at the time, I just had to keep people busy <laughs> dancing. And then, and then it was very nice challenge. And uh, yeah, I began at 11, but was not very long because jazz came into my life as a very strong winged creative force and i started improvising like mad like for hours a day and i by 13 i was you know the last wedding party i play was just a free jazz concert (laughs) and then i lost the gig (laughs) yeah yeah right yeah can't you play something we know right don't they say that yeah that's exactly my mother came to me at the end of the wedding no, you didn't play a single song. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's how it is. So then yeah. by 15, you were teaching in a conservatory on some level. What did, what did you teach and, and did you enjoy it? I teach uh, organ and piano for beginners. And also I was asked to write some pieces, some solo piano pieces that would provide uh, the student with some inspirational music, not only mechanic, technique things, but... Uh, yeah, the challenge was to make something that could connect with the musician. That was very simple, 
mechanically speaking, but could uh, inspire the musician to actually make music. And uh, yeah, and then I wrote 21 uh, little pieces at the time for a local conservatory, and uh, it was applied at the school, and it was a very nice experience for me. It was my first commission, so to speak. Wow. So, you know, often people say great musicians aren't necessarily great teachers because it's so difficult to teach the gifting inside, but it sounds like you enjoyed it. Well, I don't see myself as a good teacher, but I understood the challenge to write music that could be simple, technically speaking, but could be, you know, with some music inside that people could actually sing or, you know, the harmony, although not very complex or dense, you had something that went more than scales up and down, you know, that kind of thing. Now, in your own lessons, well, you mentioned in an interview with Ari Shapiro, NPR, that you sometimes drove your classical teachers crazy because they didn't like it when you would get off score. And so my question is, what did you do differently uh, than they expected? Uh, that's true. Um, you know, with <laughs> all due respect to my classical piano teachers, that was quite a problem because uh, all the classical guys, they never really understood improvisation as a key to artistic freedom, but they saw it as wasting time. Yeah, they uh -huh. always told me, oh, why do you spend time doing this? You know, this is going to delay your, your concert life. And uh, I think this is still valid today when you study classical piano. You know, just a few t teachers can really understand the importance of, you know, letting the musician's imagination flow beyond the score. It's, it's not like you're going to disrespect the score. It's something else, yeah. you know. The piano is such a wealthy instrument in terms of colors, possibilities. And I think it's a pity that uh, pianists are not allowed to fly away and, you know, and just search for colors, for sounds. Mm. But I understand also that at the time I was so crazy about improvisation that I couldn't, I was disconnected from the score uh, very easily. But it was a pleasure. I had such a fantastic pleasure doing improvisations that I could never stick to the Behringer, to the you know, to the Hanon, to the Czerny. And it was always I, my teachers were always mad at me. But in the end, I think I was able to play on my beloved Bach, you know, forever. That still the root of my love for counterpoint comes from there, and I'm yeah, sure. deeply grateful to these professionals, you know, to introducing me to, you know, the well-tempered clavier and, and, and everything from Bach and also Bartok at the time that I loved to play Bartok. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, improvisation is not well regarded to this day, I think, in classical piano teaching. Which is ironic, right? Because so much of early classical music was steeped in improv. Yeah, and all the greats, you know, all the greats yeah. were fantastic improvisers, you know. I think if you think about Liszt, for example... I mean, he wrote down 30% of his music, you know, the rest of improvisation that we never actually are going to know how, how it sounded. But, you know, Beethoven and, uh, and even Bach, you know, they're great improvisers. And uh, somehow it's morphed in, into something different, I guess. And it's really interesting to me because, well, first of all, I don't know personally any musician who has such great command of both jazz and classical as you do. And, and then not only that, but you express yourself so artistically in both. And I'm not saying that just to make you feel great. It's I've been so moved <laughs> over the years. Thank you. And I read in, in another interview that you said, from the beginning, there were no boundaries between the classical approach and improvisation. And I'm like, no boundaries. How? And I, you know both idioms and you go in and out 
it's just astounding to me. So you're just seeing this as an overall sphere of music. Is that right? You know, Ben, uh, I've been asked that question many times, and I think the only correct answer I can give, and the, the only precise answer I can give is through my own music. But mm-hmm. I will try to, you know, I, I see music as like a great sea, and uh, you have this all these different rivers flowing to the sea. And I think deep in the water, all the waters are connecting and merging into something bigger, actually. I tend to see music as, as something that, you know, that is connection, is energy. And uh, it's up to each musician, actually, to decide how different regions from this ocean, from this big and deep sea, he or she is going to dive in. But this is up to the artist to decide. And I'm a very curious guy, very, you know, I have always this urge inside myself to look for something, you know, new and uh, to learn new music, to play, for example, Baroque and the harpsichord or play, you know, blues in a B3 organ. For me, all the musics, they inform themselves, they connect and they make, I think, all these different experiences. From that different experience, I can really learn and make my own voice develop from there. Yeah, it requires a great deal of spontaneity and receptivity. I think there's so much fear, right, that keeps people from deviating from the path because they want to perform correctly and maybe they're not listening. Yeah, we live in a time where the specialist is very well regarded. I think we teach people to be specialized in on something. I went to a completely opposite direction. That was a natural thing for me. I not only play the piano, but I also work as a composer, as a producer, a sound engineer, for example, something I love very much is recording. I built my own studio. So that's a lot of work and study behind all this force inside myself. Of course, it's not, maybe maybe it would be much uh, nicer and smoother to just, you know, pick a road and, and go. But uh, I, I see that all the malls, the tours, they make the road more beautiful to me, I think. Yeah, no, it's well said. And uh, speaking of your sound, even your sound is unique. So you have this wonderful way of integrating an analog synthesizer to expand your piano sound. I didn't really know what that was until I saw you playing live. And I thought, oh, so how did that come about? You know, that's not new in my music. Although I've been releasing albums that are mostly acoustic piano. I programmed synthesizers since I was 13, mm-hmm. and uh, analog synthesizers, that's my passion. Through VCOs, oscillators, and feeling the electricity running inside the machine, I think this is a miracle. I just love the old Oberheims, the old uh, Moogs, you know. Mm-hmm. I think they're really deep musical instruments, and that's mm-hmm. until this day they're very sought after because the new digital machines cannot get close to that. You know, they're just mm-hmm. emulations. But but recently, with this new project that I recorded uh, about the music of the Club de Esquina or the Corners Club, I felt that the synthesizers were really needed to mm-hmm. express the whole wealth of colors of the Club de Esquina. And then I got back my old synthesizers on stage. You put it on top of your piano and you That's play right. them together. That's yeah, right. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. 
And I think the analog synthesizers, they, they have this characteristic that they blend well with acoustic instruments. Mm-hmm. That's something, the digital stuff, for me, it's more difficult to actually blend. Surprisingly well. I mean, it, it really is seamless. So you were just talking about Pluba Deskina, another beautiful record that you uh, released recently. And our U.S. listeners may not know about how important this group of musicians is to Brazil, and they may not know about Milton Nascimento and so forth. Would you talk about that a little bit? Sure. When talking to American audiences, I always try to make connections. You know, for example, I introduced Ernesto Nazaré by associating with Joplin. And when I play both Joplin and Nazaré together, people really connect and they understand the point and mm-hmm. uh, very clearly. And then, the you know, their eyes shines, and that makes me mm-hmm. very happy, you know. And I feel that Milton Nascimento, the main figure of the Club da Esquina, is an analog to, to Stevie Wonder, who can play anything, who can sing like a god, and can compose <laughs> like a god, you know, like Milton did and does. And Milton, I mean, if he only was a great singer like he is, would be already fantastic, but he's such a very personal and and deep writer of songs. For me, he wrote some of the most beautiful songs in the whole Brazilian songbook. Some of these songs are from the Clube da Esquina albums that are classic albums from the 70s in Brazil, 72 and 76. I've always played this music. Actually, I played, for example, the the only piano solo that I released on this album is a 20-year-old arrangement that I played around the time I record this retrospecto song that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, yeah. But uh, recently, with my trio, we've been touring a lot. We decided to consolidate the music on a CD, and uh, on a new album, that's called uh, Na Esquina do Clube, Com Sol na Cabeça, or At the Corners Club, with the sun in your head, something like that. <laughs> yeah. That has to do with the songs that we play, actually. There's the things from the lyrics. And uh, yeah, this is mostly a, a trio album, Andrea Mighty Trio. We recently toured the USA. We played the Lincoln Center, the uh, Dizzy's Club. We played the uh, Kennedy Center in Washington. We played the uh, Kumbo Jazz and in Santa Cruz. And we played uh, also Seattle. And we played, uh, of course, in other smaller venues, like in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, we plan to come back next year with the CD in hand. Nice. Well, I sure look forward to seeing you again when you visit. You know, you write, you arrange, you perform in many formats, solo, duo, you play with singers, trios, even orchestra. I may know the answer to this before I ask it, but do you have a favorite idiom uh, in which to express yourself? Is it all, again, part of the sea? You tell me. Well, you know, it depends. Sometimes I can do a whole improvised concert on the piano. Sometimes I play only Nazaré. Sometimes I have a new commission. Now I have a two cello piece to write, you know. So I'm studying cello too. (laughs) I'm studying French horn and I'm studying, you know. Also, I have this new album coming out uh, next October that with all my string music and string ensemble that I record in my studio. And so I think all these different projects, they actually 
you know, with all the parts, you get a whole picture. Yeah. So if you ask me what's my favorite thing, I would really have a, a hard time figuring out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't have that. I knew I knew the answer before I asked it. Like, ah, do I ask this or not? Yeah. Yeah, I know I have to tell this because that's what makes my life so rich, I think. And, and I know so many fantastic people coming from all these different areas, you know, from from the show of music that I recently released an album with Danilo Brito, mandolin player from Brazil. He's a strict choro guy. He plays only choro. He plays the mandolin and he has only one big idol that's Jacobo Bandolin. Then I have a duo with a singer or and then I have, you know, I play my concerts, my piano concerto with an orchestra and I get to know all these amazing people. They're really great people, great musicians. And I learned so much from them. They are coming mm. from all these different areas. So I don't see myself actually choosing one, picking one, and ignoring the rest. I think this is not possible, you know, <laughs> at least yes. not at my age. I think I'm old and <laughs> too <laughs> well, old to change. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, when you get older, you won't think of you as being old. But <laughs> <laughs> so I know you have this amazing passion for recording. Tell us about your new studio. You know, recording audio uh, has always been a passion in my life. I started recording myself at eight. I had a small tape recorder that I used to record, you know, little compositions or maybe little songs when I was really, really a kid, like eight or nine. And uh, I was always fascinated by the miracle of audio recording and microphones mm -hmm. and synthesizers. I used to draw synthesizers in shoeboxes, for example, when I was 10, you know? <laughs> yeah. And hear sounds in my mind, actually. I think nowadays it's much easier. You know, you just get an iPad and you have everything in your fingertips. But in the early 80s, I had to actually use my imagination to get into the sounds, to get into the music. So yeah, I think I see the studio that I have today as a development of that very first tape recorder. I used it only even to draw labels, you know, to the tapes. I, I was drawing myself by hand. It was really a passion. And then, but you know, this album you just played the, from the award in 1998. I was the yeah. sound engineer already there. I was oh, wow. mixing, mastering at the age of 20, and now I have my own studio that I'm very proud of. I actually had the main bassoon player from Sao Paulo Symphony Orchestra, a British guy who played with McCartney, who recorded that with the London Symphony, and he called my studio the Brazilian Navy Road, and I was very proud. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is a great moment. Because wow. it, it took me quite a while to build and fine-tune it, I have a, a very nice piano. I have a B3 organ. I have a Fender Rhodes. And I can record in an orchestra there, you know. And the, the acoustics are very live, like a small concert hall. I guess it's the only studio with that characteristics in Brazil, as far as I know. That sounds beautiful. And so all the classical people, you know, they come here to record music without processing or digital reverbs or something, because what you play is what you get on the CD or, you know, it's just microphones and the natural acoustics of the hall. Wow. And so this approach, very minimalistic approach, is so beautiful, but it's, it takes a lot of work to actually make it work. So I'm very yeah. proud of the space. I'm having fantastic musicians coming to record 
And I also love to do the engineering, the mixing, the editing, the mastering. I'm very passionate about the, the whole process of recording, beginning with the, you know, placing microphones, connecting cables, everything, and making coffee too. Yeah, <laughs> just maximizing the beauty of the experience, right? I mean, you're trying to get the most beautiful sound you can out of the instruments and trying to create the best ambiance for the recording. And make musicians uh, at easy and, and comfortable to record because recordings can be stressful, you know, when yeah. musicians are not used to the studio. Oh, for sure. I yeah. think the space that has is surrounded by nature, you know, native forests, the Mata Atlantica I have surrounding my studio is something that I have natural light coming into the studio. So wow. I think this can also reflect in the recording atmosphere and, of course, in the performance itself. Wow. Yes, absolutely. That's exciting. That's really exciting. And so tell us about some of the projects you'd like people to know about. Maybe they can find them. Tell us where they can find them and tell us how people can find out more about you and your recordings. Well, my new website is just out. Uh, it's been uh, completely rewritten. I had an old one and now uh, the new one is much nicer. People can listen to my music there. They can connect with social media. They can download scores and also see my schedule. It's andremiamari.com.br. Beautiful. And how about recordings? They can buy your recordings from your website? We are working on the, on the store right now. For now, we can only ship CDs uh, within Brazil. But of course, uh, you, you can uh, write messages directly to me and then uh, we can see exceptions. We are going to also make some digital downloads available in the websites. Beautiful. Oh, and tell me about the projects you'd like people to look out for, as things that you're working on now that you'd like to get some early exposure for. So, yeah, this new trio album is just out, the Club de Esquina project. I'm very proud of it, and uh, I've been performing with, with my fellow uh, musicians for a while, being played with Sergio Hezis, the drummer, is, is with me for almost 25 years. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And the bass yeah. player for 10 years, and uh, they're all amazing musicians. They bring so much to the music. And I think the trio is really, really into some very specific language that's, of course, it's a very classic jazz ensemble with the piano mm -hmm. jazz trio. But uh, I think our trio has a very specific sound, not only because of the way people play, but also the, the synthesizers and the expansions of the trio Sergio Hesios also plays some gongs, some melodic instruments. Yeah. Uh, Neymar plays the viola caipira. That's a 10-string guitar. Of course, I have this new album coming out uh, with Danilo Brito. That's a Choro music album. It's called Nosso Brasil or Our Brazil. Mm -hmm. That uh, is mostly Choro music from the classic composers like Nazaré, like Pichinguinha, and... Uh, also some stuff that I wrote most recently. And it's only mandolin and piano. It's chamber music recorded, you know, wow. in a very, very classic, like a concert-like recording, you know, two microphones. Interesting. So you get the whole image of the recording very, very nicely. Then I have this huge orchestral project coming from the Selo Sesc or Sesc label. 
that's a double CD with all my string music. Nice. Concertos, you know, bassoon concerto, harmonica concerto, jazz trio concerto, and our only strings and harpsichord. So it's, a, it's almost two hours of string music. All pieces that were, were commissioned by different Brazilian orchestras. Wow, nice. And now I, have, I had this chance to actually make reference recordings for people, you know, to have access to them and maybe perform mm -hmm. them, the works too. So yeah, three new projects coming out in 2019. Well, that is all very exciting, Andre. I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. It's such a pleasure to reconnect and to have you join us and to talk about your work and your life. Thank you, thank you. And I also want to thank all of the listeners for tuning into Piano Whisperer. If you'd like to find out more about us or listen to other podcasts, you can tune into pianowhisperer.org. On our website, we have other podcasts that we've recorded. And of course, we'll be posting future ones as well. So thanks very much for listening. Andre, many thanks again. Many thanks to you, Ben. It was such a great time to talk to you. And also thank you, the listeners, for the attention. And uh, I hope we can reconnect sooner this time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think we will. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you've been inspired to go deeper in your piano journey. To learn more about our podcast, please visit pianowhisper.org. Please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast.